0: You're listening to The Heart of It Podcast. My name is Sam Smeltzer and I'm an HR intuitive and healer. In this podcast, we'll chat about what the industry of human resources can make possible for people and our organizations. In each episode, we'll have raw conversation around inner development and organizational culture change to create a working world where both people and organizations thrive. Thank you for listening. Now let's get this episode started. Well, hello there and welcome to the Heart of It podcast. I'm so grateful that you're taking a moment out of your day or evening, whenever you are listening to this and just spending some time with us. That's right. I said us because I have a fantastic, fascinating guest today that's going to talk about, we're going to use all the Fs, being fearless and talking about fear. And many of you know that fear has been one of my greatest learning outcomes over the past two years. So obviously when Jacqueline Wales reached out to me, I couldn't hesitate at all to want to book her and have her come on to the podcast. So Jacqueline, do you want to take a moment and say hello to all the listeners?
1: Well, hi, everyone. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Sam, for inviting me in. And uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation about being fearless. See where it gets you.
0: Yes. Yes. Fearless. So um, why don't we start with what makes you an expert on being fearless? Before we get to the good stuff, why should we take your words of wisdom? What's your experience here?
1: Well, I think that's a a very good question. Um, My experience with fear started at a very early age. Uh, Frankly, I was born into a family where there was a great deal of unhappiness and dysfunction, alcoholism, violence, emotional abuse, you name it. I got the entire nine yards thrown at me from a very early age, and I grew up being told that I would never amount to anything. And I actually began to believe that. And of course, we look for the confirmation bias that you really are a useless human being. And the early part of my life was filled with drugs and alcohol and sex in all the wrong places and so forth. And uh, eventually ending up in pregnancy, uh, the age of of 19 and uh, unwanted pregnancy. And it was really a turning point for me of, you know, you've got to start getting your life together. Uh, it didn't actually happen for at least another 10 years. And I knew that a lot of what was going on for me was pure fear. I was afraid of, of who th- I could be. I was afraid of uh, what I could do. I did not believe in myself, even although I found people who believed in me. But I was unwilling to uh, really address a lot of these issues. Uh, And it ended up with me. I left home originally at 16, Uh, born in Scotland and moved to London. And after 10 years, 11 years in London and having given the first child up for adoption and left the second one with his father, after marrying him, uh, I moved to San Francisco. And I went to San Francisco knowing nobody. I had uh, $800 in my pocket and a backpack. And that was it. And I was supposed to be going to Australia, but I fell in love with someone here. And uh, that was, you know, beginning of yet another chapter. I went on to have two more children and, uh, and also a daughter who arrived, stepdaughter who arrived from Thailand, a complete stranger at the age of 10. So I, I had this whole uh, history of children and dealing with children. And behind all of this was a great deal of fear And it wasn't until i was in my 40s that i began to really do the work or actually probably late 30s i went into therapy i started talking to people about my experiences and then i started writing and took a course in writing but i started a book and it became my first book which is called when the crow sings And When the Crow Sings uh, is a book about three generations of women giving birth to children outside of marriage and how it spills over from generation to generation until one woman has the courage to give her child up for adoption. And I tell the story of my grandmother, my mother, and myself in uh, semi-fictional form. There's an awful lot of fact in there, but there's also a lot of fiction. Um, From there, I went on to uh, making music. So I started writing, started making music, I always wanted to be a singer, train myself as a singer. Eventually got into performing in front of audiences, Now talk about fear, you know, that that whole thing of standing up in front and being judged and perhaps being rejected. But it turns out I had a pretty good voice, so you know, that worked for me right there. And I took up martial arts at the age of 43 and I took my black belt on my 49th birthday because again, I wanted to challenge myself physically to see what I was made of. And when I got into martial arts, it was like duck to water. It was like, yay, I found my way home. It was great. Um, So my forties were really a very rich experience and we traveled all over the world and had to learn foreign languages and show up in countries where I I really didn't speak the language and have to figure it all out and talk about fear being involved in that absolutely you know if you don't know how to say things it's very hard um, to communicate effectively your brain's doing one thing your mouth is doing another a lot of insecurity around that so that was taking me up until my 40s. So I'm giving you the long story here because it really is to your question, how do you experience fear? And throughout all of this, I challenged myself over and over again to be better, to do more, to show up, to be better for my children, more importantly. And there's there's a whole lot of story around that. And my next book is probably gonna be about parenting because I had a lot of experience with that. Um, And then it was in my 50s when I decided or it was kind of decided for me because fortunes change. um, I needed to get a job. And uh, since I'd never been in corporate, I had no intentions of going and find a job in an organization. So that meant start something of my own. Talk about fear. What do I know about? What do I know? And uh, it was a coach who said to me, you know a lot about fear, so you should write about it and you should talk about it and you should work with people who are dealing with their own fears. And so that became my mission and that was 15 years ago. And so I've gone on to write two books on fear. The first one is The Fearless Factor. And it was primarily for women dealing with how they became fearless and my own experiences of getting past the fears uh, and a lot of insights around how we handle fear. And then, few years later, I got into writing The Fearless Factor at work because I had worked with a lot of people in, in corporate realizing that it is really screwed up uh, for a lot of people and that a lot of it's based on behavior and mindset. And so uh, I've educated myself over the last 15 years, a great deal about all of this, but everything that I bring to my work everything I teach, everything I speak about, everything that I am about at this point in my life is about helping people understand that fear, for the most part, is imagination-based. We make shit up in order to put a label on whatever it is that's making us uncomfortable. And the first thing I say to my coaching clients is get comfortable being uncomfortable because it's the only way you're going to change and i've been there i've done that and frankly there's very little that comes across my my desk or anyone that i'm talking to who i can't relate to because yeah i've been there done that i know what this stuff looks and feels like um and most of the time it's self-imposed we have we can break through the obstacles you've done it yourself sam you know this you know it's like you go into your mindset and you talk about what's the negative thinking that stops me from truly being who I want to be, and living up to my potential. And that's really become a major focus for me is helping people live up to their potential by breaking down the barriers that are stopping them from living a full life, essentially. So that's a long story.
0: But a very essential, necessary story to tell. I mean, when you say I've been there, you have. I mean, you talk about starting with a home life as a child where you don't have people who are, who you believe are supposed to love and support you and believe in you no matter what, and saying that was missing. And then talking about being a parent, the, being a parent is the scariest thing ever. <laughs> like, I didn't think that I could be so terrified. And I remember, especially being pregnant with my first child. And I have this vivid memory of sitting in a rocking chair going back and forth thinking, what did I do? Can I even do this? Can I raise a child? And, and all those fears. And then, and every day, because I have two of them running around, um, there was just new things. They provide new fears every single day. What's happening to them? How am I affecting their, you know, we can, can't wait for that next book that has to be written.
1: Yeah, I I feel that way that, you know, this is the next stage of of the fearless programs is the fearless parenting. But to your point, after I'd given my first child up for adoption and then left my second one with his father, when I got pregnant again for the third time, I said to my therapist at the time, I said, she will leave me before I leave her, which meant she would go to college. Mm -hmm. That that would be it. That was my commitment to making Mm -hmm. that work. Uh, And then I spent about 12 years uh, trying to uh, redefine my relationship with my son who had left behind. He's now 45 years old and we have a fabulous relationship, but I had to really work on it to make it happen at a certain point. So, you know, it's a journey and, you know, we all have our own journeys. And when you're young and you're full of ideas and you're full of energy and you're thinking to yourself, the world is my oyster. And then you keep banging up against stuff, you know, and that banging up against stuff kind of whittles away your confidence. It whittles away your your ability to think big and and move forward with big ideas. Uh, And especially if you haven't had the support growing up that that helps that to happen. You know, I'm very, very blessed that my daughters now uh, have done amazing things in the world. And they're now, youngest is 30 um and then 33 year old and they were all very different in the being raised we was a very complicated family story but i look at how successful they all are in their own right and i know it's because i as a parent made an effort to really try to get to understand them and give them what they needed to make help them succeed their journeys they're doing their thing and it's never perfect You know, we as you know, when we look back on our childhood and we look back on the parents who raised us, we can have a lot of criticism for them, and I certainly could, and I wrote about them as well. But I also have a lot of compassion because the compassion is that you're dealing with people who didn't know any better. And uh because they didn't know any better, you were the recipient of that. But again, to the point of If you're young and listening to this and you're thinking about your careers and you're thinking about where you want to go and how you want to help people be better, number one, get to know yourself first. Number one, I I don't care who you are and what your, your journey is, getting to know yourself is key to being a great leader. Great leaders know who they are. They know what their strengths and their weaknesses are. They know how to help other people but they've been able to put themselves first as well. And too many leaders in, in corporate and elsewhere, they haven't a clue, frankly. You know, They've never taken the time for self-reflection. They've never taken the time to really ask themselves the hard questions. And you and I are coaches. So you, we know that when people come to us, they're usually at a crossroads. They're usually in a place where they go, you know, this is not working for me and I'd like to figure out why. Mm -hmm. and I it doesn't matter how old you are you will come to those crossroads you know I mean my youngest just turned 30 and when people turn 30 it's really interesting it's like suddenly I'm supposed to be an adult you know but meanwhile I still have all these insecurities (laughs) it's fascinating and it's 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 right across the board it doesn't matter who you're talking to when you get to that age yeah yeah
0: that's yeah well and I once again I mean Thank you for sharing your story because it does tell us all the different ways that fear comes into our life. And I wanna take time and, you know, as you were telling your story, thinking about fear for HR practitioners and even leaders. But I find that a lot of my HR colleagues and friends are afraid in, in their work environments. And a lot of them shut down. Like a lot of them have been in places for a long time in the corporate world and they have shut down and are not doing what they could do for the people that work there because they're afraid. So can you talk about what is your opinion on, what are we afraid of um, as being people-driven leaders or HR managers in a traditional fa- fashion? Why do you think we're shutting down in our, in our corporate landscape? Uh, what fear do you think is being instilled and how is that happening?
1: Well, there's, there's a few things at work here. Um, you know, if you were to step up with an authentic voice as a starter, you know, just be yourself in the workplace. Most people put on a mask when they go through the front door. You know, who I am at home and who I am at work is two different things. Because at work, there's an expectation that I behave in a certain way, that I follow the rules and I don't rock the boat. Now, you know, when you're working with people and you're trying to make some changes in the workplace, you will come up against people who will absolutely refuse to change because they like things just the way they are. Thank you very much. So your voice gets quieter and quieter because you realize that nobody's listening. And even if you are pushing the envelope a little bit, you stand the chance of losing your job first and foremost. Or secondly, you're going to be kind of sidelined to a place where you can't do any damage kind of thing. Now, I've had conversations with HR people who tell me that they would love to do some really dynamic programming and really bring the best to it. But either they can't get the resources for it or the people above them are just saying it's not necessary, just get people to do their jobs and that's all there is to it. Um, so the idea of growth and development, I think, becomes a really critical issue for HR people. And the fear that's, that's there is is really tied into, again, my own security. I mean, that's bottom line, isn't it, you know, I mean, if we think about it. So challenging status quo, challenging the people above. If you don't have the right language and you don't have the right tools for that, that's the place where you become silent and eventually frustrated, disappointed, and probably at a certain point will say it ain't worth the effort. I take home more stress than I than I, I'm making money on, frankly. So you know that's what it comes down to. But it's also about the individual. The individual has to really search in their own minds about where do I stop myself. Where do I get caught up in perhaps the judgment of others that I'm not good enough? And where does that not good enough resonate within me? Because fear primarily is based on two things. I'm not good enough and I'm not lovable. And that is really key to understanding most fears right there. So when your credibility is challenged, when you are in a position where you're trying to make a difference and nobody's giving you any room to do that, then you start to self-doubt. Then you start to get into, is it me or is it them? you know, and then you get into this, this whole tussle and, and I'm sure you've been there and you've had this, this kind of reaction. So I would say that is really a lot of what the fears are as we go into, but core to all fears. And I've had this over and over again with my clients. I'm not good enough, which is, is a complete bullshit in your mind. And you got to challenge that.
0: You are like right on target, you know, as you're talking about that, I was like reliving what I had gone through. In fact, at the end of that, when I came out and decided no more, I actually got my first tattoo. I have a unicorn on my forearm that has the word worthy. And it means that I am good enough and I'm worthy of love. Like, and so the two things that you talked about fear, uh, right on point, man, right on point. (laughs) so let's talk about i mean because the other thing that you painted this picture of you know uh, hr people having wanting to do these dynamic programs and then knowing they can't get the resources or they're just shut down when they make the ask and this only the whole idea of challenging that um that level above you and yes you have to have the skill sets you have to have the courage and all of those kinds of pieces but i think i'm going to talk i want to back it up and just say if I choose not to push or challenge and stay afraid, what is the danger that I put out there with the people that I'm interacting with that are not above me? And I think there is a piece for above because I think we underestimate that we are coaching to those above us as well when we're in an HR position. But the people that I'm showing up to serve, because I sit there as liaison to make sense of both levels. Um, And so if I'm operating from a place of fear on a constant basis, what am I, what ripples am I actually sending out? You know, like
1: you have the potential to change the world, but if I do nothing, what am I doing? Well, you're not being a service number one, you know, and and let's face it. Anyone who's in the people business is there to serve. I'm here to help you uh, do whatever you need to do or become whoever you, you need to be. Um, so I, first of all, not being a service, but you diminish yourself every time you hold back from saying something every time you're thinking something and doing something else that becomes that that minimizing of who you are and your power and when you're dealing with your peers or dealing with people you're supposed to be helping and you can't give them an honest response to you know i'd love to help you but right now my hands are tied and you're not allowed to have that conversation with them then that becomes a serious piece for you as the individual to decide, am I living in integrity or am I not? And if I'm not living in integrity and I'm not living true to my values, then I'm in the wrong place and I need to find an organization that will will support that. And I'm not above encouraging my clients who tell me that they're fighting against all kinds of stuff uh that you need maybe need to think about going somewhere else you know and that's a hard one for a lot of people because i'm getting a paycheck and i got the health benefits and uh, my family depends on this and i don't know how long it's going to take me to find another job and and so on and so forth you know but uh, the bottom line is there's another job out there and it'll just take a little bit of work but again, to that point I made earlier about get to know who you are, get to know what's important to you. One of the things that I do with with my clients is run them through a values exercise. You know, I want to know, do you understand what your values are? Do you understand that these are these three or five things that you can put at the top of the list of things you absolutely cannot live without? And if you are living without it, then you might just want to be thinking about this is not a good fit this needs to go somewhere else. The old axiom of a join a company and leave a boss, 100%, 150% frankly, you know, you're dealing with bad behavior. You're dealing with people who want to stay in their little zones or keep their control or their power uh, and they don't let anybody else into it, you know, and that that's very, very hard to deal with one of the things I do is I do behavioral assessments, 360 behavioral assessments. And we actually scientifically measure how people are showing up in the workplace um, for themselves and how other people are seeing them and frequently how you think of yourself and how other people think of you are two different things. And the only time you really see the alignment is when somebody really knows who they are and they're showing up the same way. So the feedback and the individual assessment, you know, fairly close. You know, and sometimes you get that people think a whole lot more of you than you think of yourself, you know, in terms of of behaviors and, and the thinking behind the behaviors. And primarily I'm finding with a lot of these assessments that I do, fear is underneath all of that. You know, if I look at a lot of passive defensive behaviors, fear is underlying that. If I look at a lot of aggressive defensive behaviors, fear is underlying that, you know. So my job is to help you become more constructive and get to know yourself and really work to serve other people well because ultimately that's what hr is people working together peacefully hopefully happily and everybody doing their thing but you know they get tied up in rule books i mean i hear the whole thing about compliance all the time it's like well it's not in compliance who wrote this stuff (laughs) Yeah, were they yeah. thinking about people when they wrote this stuff?
0: <laughs> I ask that question multiple times to people when I look at a policy and I'm like like who who where was the person, the leader that's focused on people asking the question about people when you were putting this policy together? Cuz yeah. clearly no one like if anyone who cared about people was sitting at the table or was supposed to have that person mindset of thinking about the human that has to experience this policy, like it doesn't make sense, like, and there's a lot of policies that we have out there that are like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So,
0: yeah, and yeah. I would, I mean, I would agree with you um, that uh, a lot of leaders um, have no idea who they are and their values and their integrity, and and they see the symptoms of being afraid or not knowing how to go into these certain situations, not being of service, feeling. And I loved how you said diminished. You're diminished each time. Um, and then we we do that over decades of time in the workplace and think we have to suck it up because we're an adult. Um, and, and, and then you talked about doing the work to undo all of that. So talk about that realistically, because um, I know I'm still undoing the levels and levels of fear. Um, and I'm, f- five years in and I know that I'm not at the end I still am very much afraid of a lot of things singing is one of them I've always wanted to be a singer terrified to sing in front of a group but I've started doing vocal lessons so I'm taking small baby steps um but as someone who's listening and knows okay maybe there is some fear here I'll give you that I'll 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 admit to that where do I start? Like, cause we're talking about us doing these massive journeys, yours a lot longer than mine. Um, that's a little overwhelming to go into the deep pool of discomfort. Where do I start today to start getting on the right path?
1: Well, you know, there's a, certainly a a lot of of programs and and books and so forth that can help you open the door to some kind of awareness, which is the reason why I wrote the Fearless Factor books, you know, to to really help people identify where I might be getting caught up in, in my own, you know, as we say in Yiddish Mishigas, which is your craziness, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there's one piece right there. In fact, I wrote The Fearless Factor at work as kind of like a virtual mentor for, for people to really start thinking about what are the areas of your life, whether it's your self-awareness, whether it's your ability to trust, whether it's your communication skills, Um, how do you build empathy Uh, you know how are you creating a vision for yourself how do you identify your values these are all things that are in the fearless factor at work and designed specifically to help people start to identify because that's really where we start with our fears let's start to identify where are the areas that I'm getting bogged down or held back with uh, so if if I'm thinking about, you know, where in my life do I have fears? Okay, so let's think about that. When was the last time I asked for what I wanted? Ah, that's an interesting one. I, I don't think I've asked for what I wanted for a while. Okay, so what's that about for you? You know, what Where's the fear of asking for what you want? Uh, women specifically have that challenge. Now, younger generation tend to be a little bit more bold than my generation. My generation was raised from the point of view of, you know, you're supposed to be somebody's wife. You know, I mean, I'm very transparent about my age. I'm 69 years old, but I like to say, let's take another 20 years off of that. I'm just fine, you know. Um, But the point being is that um, you have gotta have a voice in the conversation and you've got to be willing to step into that. Uh, Being fearless is simply about taking the next step. Okay, wherever you feel like you're you're stopping yourself, ask yourself the question, first of all, what's that about? The second piece you have to do is when you look at, you know, identifying that fear, is it true? Is it true that I'm not good enough? Is it true that I'm not capable? Is it true that I'm not credible? Is it true? Find the evidence for it, because so much of our life is based on assumptions that have never been tested. We just assume that that's the case. Or what happens when you're in somebody else's head? What are they thinking about me? How are they judging me? Am I going to be rejected by them? Am I going to be feel humiliated by this? You know, these are the kind of fears that get in there. The biggest fear, of course, is the fear of failure. What if I do fail? What if I do this and it doesn't work? So try a different way. You know, I like to say that failure is simply a process of an expectation or a decision that didn't go quite the way you wanted it to. So failure is is not the end of the road. It's simply an opportunity to say next whatever that might be. And we are all failing our way to success because that's how we learn through the failures. That didn't work. And how do we compare success and failure? Well, you can you can think about your successes by what didn't work, what did work. And that's a big piece of it too. So identifying those fears is really when you get that gut reaction of like, oh good, I don't wanna go there, okay? And then you think, okay, so why don't you want to go there? What about that is holding you back? And I'll bet you what you like, it's got a lot to do with that judgment. Like you're singing, for instance. I trained as a, as a singer for 14 years, but I never became a professional singer. I did it because I loved, loved the process. And I turned out pretty good at it. I was invited, uh, we moved to Paris at a certain point, and the rabbi of our synagogue said to me, uh, we need a cantor for the high holidays. And I looked at him and I said, so what do I know about Jewish liturgy? And he said, oh, you can learn. And I was like, really? Well, what would you like me to learn? And he said, I don't know, just go away, find the music and, you know, come back and we'll talk about it. So I did, and it was quite a process, but um, I did, I slept, ate, slept, breathed, cantorial music for three and a half months. And I showed up for Rosh Hashanah on the first night and talk about feeling fear and having a congregation in front of me. And I'm supposed to sing these prayers. I did not read Hebrew. I did not understand a word of what it was that I was singing. And all I had was the transliteration and the music in my head that had been put into my key that i'd taken from somebody else's cd and i had learned all of this by heart and i had no accompaniment it was all a cappella. so whatever it was it was all out there hanging out to dry was i fearful yes i was yeah but i ended up doing that for five years so you know i just have to say that you got to look for where you're uncomfortable and then explore that. And that's the only thing I can say about how do we deal with our fears. But ask yourself a very simple question. Is it true? Is it true that I can't do this? Is it true that I'm not capable? Is it true that nobody will love me? Is it true? And the bottom line is you can find lots of evidence that it's not true. Mm-hmm. But if you're just focused on this right now, you're forgetting that your past has influenced your present, but your present is what will fulfill your future. So either you're going to be the author of your own life, or you're going to be living in someone's epic novel.
0: (laughs) I love that imagery.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. So... One last piece I want to ask you about is we're talking about obviously there's a huge piece on our on us owning our own fears and having to overcome that. But as HR practitioners and leaders, we also come and we do play a part in a lot of other epic exciting novels of all the people that we have hired or that we lead in so now that you're you're hearing this and knowing that these experiences we have add or detract or diminish us obviously does the same thing to these people. What can I do to make sure that I'm trying to not add to their fear stories? What is something small I can do as I'm interacting with others to nudge and kind of pull and tug them in the right direction as well?
1: So here's the here's the biggest thing that you can do in the workplace, develop your communication skills so that you know how to ask questions. So how you know how to help people open up. You know yourself that when you're in front of someone who's warm and empathetic and responsive to you and is asking the right questions about help me understand. Tell me more. We do this as coaches. And one of the things that I do with my managers when I get, you know, when I'm coaching them, is I teach them how to do proper feedback. I teach them how to have open conversations that get them to get more information, because too many times you, you you're short on time. You, you know, I haven't got more than ten minutes to give you right now. Um, somebody comes in and they've got a you know big issue going on, and you want to get rid of them as fast as possible. Well, you're not helping them out there but you definitely don't want to give them an hour-long therapy session either but what you do want to do is remain open keep the mind open and ask questions it's really really important we do not ask enough questions we're too busy telling well you need to do this and you need to do that and i heard about this and i heard about that no I want to hear your side of what's going on. I want to know more about how I can help you. And that that's a really important phrase right there in the workplace. How can I help you? I really mean it, you know? Because most people say that and they don't mean it. Uh, you know, take to, to helping you takes too much time and too much brain power, so I'm not really interested. But if you are a compassionate human being and you really do care about being of the greatest service to people, not everybody is frankly but if you are there's a piece there engage with the conversation asking questions wanting to know more wanting to open them up because people ultimately want to be heard and see seen and heard that's it we all want to be seen and heard and too many times we're dismissed
0: yeah once again i right on target i mean i can Replay even relationships that I've struggled with and I've come back and and they ask, what do you need? I need to be seen and heard and not feel dismissed. And that's on an individual basis too. So what I need to feel seen and heard is different than, you know, Joe next door, what he needs to be seen and heard. And so do you understand that? So, but I I love that it's these simplistic actions. You know, we make excuses that we don't do these things because there are these advanced skill sets. It starts with questions. And yeah, maybe you might not get them all right at the same point, but you will learn. That's how I learned as a coach. Right. Um, well, to make sure that the the verbiage is organic and genuine because they will see through the BS. It's got to be genuine. And yeah. if it's genuine even if it comes out messy, it's still going to reach the intention.
1: That's exactly right. You know, and I like to say a lot of being the fearless is is taking risks. And uh I have an acronym for risk which is to respect your intention and show courage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, I think, a big piece of, of how we keep moving forward. Respect your intention. If my intention is to, to help and my intention is to, to really be the best that I can be, um, then I'm going to take the courage to take the next step. And that—that's really the the key to this. Uh, But keeping it simple—I mean, that's one of the things I'm well known for—is I can take all this complex stuff that you're supposed to do with organizational development and behavioral analysis, so forth, and it's like, nah, it just comes down to some fundamental common sense things, you know, and taking the time to learn how to do this effectively is your job as an HR expert. You've really got to take the time to learn. It's number one, as I said earlier, get to know who you are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and get to know where your fears are holding you back from being the best you can be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as always, I say this every week, um, time just goes way too fast on these podcasts. And Um, I wish that I I could do like mini documentaries on all of my guests because there's just so much to share and and learn about. And um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I want to thank you so much for the work that you are doing because obviously it is much, much needed. We need people doing this work, many more of us. So hopefully we're inspiring others to pursue this path as well. Um, Do you have any final words that you want to share with the listeners, Jacqueline?
1: Well, I would advise them and, you know, self-promotion here, so I got to do this, but go get a copy of The Fearless Factor at Work on Amazon. Uh, I think it's a good primer for for what you need to really start thinking about things differently. And uh, check out my website, thefearlessfactoratwork.com. And I'm running a six-week fearless change program. It's an accelerated change program that starts in January 26th. And uh, it's application only because I wanna make sure it's a good fit and that you're really committed to change, but it will actually shift the needle on on whatever's getting in the way of of you making the next step and, and really taking your life and your career to the next level. So that would be my advice, but definitely take the next step, you know
0: whatever it might be, take the next step. Awesome. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. I so appreciate you. And I will talk to you next week. The Fearless Factor Change Program is your invitation to change in six weeks or less. An accelerated virtual program that will help you develop self-awareness, improve performance, and fulfill potential. Develop the tools and insights you need to shake existing paradigms and drive your business and life success. It includes three hours of personal coaching and six hours of group coaching plus materials to create and nurture strong career goals, tackle challenges, and create more satisfaction and fulfillment in life. It starts January 26th. Applications are open now. Go to thefearlessfactoratwork.com
1: to apply.